0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. As Ben said, I'm the business manager here at the church. I've been doing it almost five years. Five years. That's crazy. Married to my beautiful wife, Ruth Hooper. She's the best. And I have definitely... um, Won the wife jackpot, that's for sure. She is awesome. She makes me a much better man. Um, but another thing about me, which you may not know, I'm a self-proclaimed, like, movie buff. I love my movies. I, uh, I like to think that I'm a pretty good movie critic. Like, I know what to look for in a good movie, what makes a movie, you know, have a good plot good character development. Yeah, I use phrases like that was poor or that was great character development. Who walks out of a movie and thinks of character development? Is it just me? Oh, Sarah. Yep. I asked Ruth out of a movie, "Oh, what would you think?" but I really wanted to tell me so I can tell her what I think of the movie. <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty good at picking what's good, what's not good, and um, what a good what the, what a good script is and all of that. But one, you know, unhealthy obsession I probably have when it comes to movies is I'm probably too reliant on IMDb. Yeah. Does anybody use IMDb? No. That thing is awesome. IMDb is so good. Whenever you suggest a movie or TV show, I'm, I'm there on IMDb unashamedly. The thing is, is I'm probably too reliant on it because what happens is I might watch a movie trailer or see a skit or something. You might tell me how good it is and I'll get excited about it and generally want to see it. But if I go to IMDb and that's below like a six and a half, That thing, I'm sorry. I'm probably not going to watch it. I might have been as motivated as anyone else to watch that movie, but then I see the rating, I'm like, ah. And just so you know, Ruth's favorite movies, which are cheesy Netflix Christmas movies, they barely make a five, all right? (laughs) Those movies are rubbish. No character development, no chemistry. (laughs) I've watched a few. I've watched a few. The thing is, is I had one view about that movie, before I went to IMDb, my view changed, so therefore my response to the movie changed. I wasn't gonna watch it. And there's a lot of things in life that are like that. Your perspective of something determines your response to it. Your view of it determines your response to it. It's the same goes with God. Your view of Him determines your response to Him, okay? So it's so, so important that you see him clear because if you don't see him clear or if your view is a little bit murky, your response will change. Yeah. Now, we're in a series uh, called Summer in the Psalms. This is actually the last series and the last message on summer. Who's enjoyed Summer in the Psalms? <laughs> it's pretty good. It seems like, you know, the series is ending, summer is ending, but I always forget there's February. Yeah. Like, <laughs> February is a summer month. But we're about to read Psalms 145. You can start turning to there if you want to. And we're going to look at David's view of God, who's the author of this psalm, and um, his response to his view of God. I feel like, you know, I know you're probably all going to your apps and things like that. They should really invent in the app. You know when you open up the app, they should really invent this little thing that whenever you click on it, it should make a pages turning sound. I'd feel so encouraged if I heard (laughs) this every Isn't that a good idea? They open up the app and there's like people turning pages because there's not many Bibles, physical Bibles these days. Anyway, Psalms 145 is written by David. Um, An interesting thing about this psalm, it's actually in the format of an acrostic poem. Pastor Tristan mentioned this about his psalm uh, in his message about two weeks ago. An acrostic poem is... Is this format that every verse begins um with the letter of the next letter in the alphabet so if it was the english alphabet it'll the first verse would be with a second verse b and c and so on so this is in that format psalm 145 based on the ancient hebrew uh alphabet which had 22 letters in it what's interesting is there's actually 21 verses and i i thought this was interesting you might not but i think this is cool there's 21 verses, so there's a missing letter. That missing letter was the N letter of the psalm. But when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, they discovered an ancient Hebrew text of the Bible that had this included in it. And it's actually verses the second half of verse 13. And they, and they include it now in your versions of the Bible, which I think is pretty interesting, which is the missing end. They said, look, it's not innate scripture, but it's the perfect fit and it matches the theme and the message of the psalm. So we'll read that. Uh, in verse 13. All right, I'm going to go through this. It's Psalm 145. It's a lot of scripture. But hey, like, you know, it's scripture. So let's read it. You can't read too much scripture in church. All right. This is called A Song of Praise of David. Verse 1. I will extol my God and King and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and great is and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate I shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your glory and your kingdom and tell of your power to make known the children of man, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all the generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth... Will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. (sighs) Amen. That's a pretty incredible depiction of who God is. This is written by David, and I feel like it's cleverly articulated in that acrostic format just to include heaps of language to describe his response to God and who he sees God to be. Phrases like this in regards to praise, he uses extol, bless, praise, commend, declare, meditate, speak, pour forth, sing aloud and give thanks. And then there's this kind of theme that goes through it about the enduring nature of praising God. It's actually bookend in verse 1 and in verse 2, using words like forever and ever, for every generation and every day and everlasting. This nature of just continually praising our God. But what's really standing out to me is this, the character of God, who he is, his nature and what he's really like. He uses phrases like this, his greatness is unsearchable. He's full of glorious splendor and majesty, abundant in goodness. He's righteous. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, good to all, mercy over all, forever faithful, all-powerful. His dominion endures. He upholds the falling, raises the bowed down, provider of all, kind in all his works. He's near to us and he is our Savior. It's a pretty bold statement. It's It's a pretty big claim. And... It can be easy to think at times, it's almost too good to be true. You know what I mean? You read all that and you're like, wow, God, like, are you really that good? It can be easy to think, clearly whoever wrote this, David in this case, probably hasn't seen the ugly side of life yet. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't been hit with the reality stick. They're still on cloud nine. Maybe he just got saved and he's in that high, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he's just saved, everything's new, everything's exciting and it's all just glamorous to him. But the, th- the thing about this psalm, it's actually King David's last psalm he wrote. Wow. After everything he had been through, after everything he had seen, he had all those battles that he had seen. He'd definitely seen the ugly side of life, let me just say that. His own family betrayed him. He lost loved ones. He was, own, he was condemned by his own sin. He had every reason at times in his eyes to feel like he's angry towards God. And yet at the end of his life, he declared, he concluded that God is good. Yeah. What a statement. Yeah. What a revelation yeah. that you would have this at the end of your life after all... Things were a lot tougher back then than they are now, right, guys? Like we've got aircon, we've got TV, we've got, we got all sorts of, it must be nice to live here and now, right? We've got it pretty good. But for him to have that revelation before even Jesus, like that is amazing. Yeah. So you can see how David saw God and his response to him. So how you see him, how you see God determines your response to him. It's a really big deal. You need to see Him clear. And my prayer tonight is that I can just make Him very clear to you. Yeah. That would be the most amazing thing. Yeah. Um, because if you think He's a distant God, then you won't approach Him. If you feel like He's unfaithful, then you can't trust Him. Yeah. If you feel like He is um, upset with you, then you won't go to Him when you, you know, mess up or, you, or you're lost. Yeah. Right. So how you view God is so foundational. You have to establish that in your life. The thing is, I can personally relate to this. I struggled for a large part of my Christian walk, really struggling to see the goodness of God. So I was saved about 14. I gave my life to Jesus and um, I got my, well, I had a leader. I gave my life to Jesus. I had a leader at the time be like, hey, the only thing you need to remember This is what you've done. When you get into heaven, you just say this, Jesus let me in. And that was it. That was the depth of my revelation. I was like, once I got to heaven, I got my ticket, get it punched on the way through and that's it. Let me just tell you, following Jesus is way, like that's just ground zero. It's actually exciting. And he's the transformation of my life. But that was my revelation. It wasn't until I was 18. I kind of drifted through high school. You know, I probably said I was a Christian, but I drifted through high school. And then when I was 18, I was like, you know what, Lord, you can have my life. I'll give you my life. And that was more than just confessing that he is Lord. Like I wanted to live for him. There's a difference. And it's a big deal to make that decision for yourself. So at 18, I said, you can have my life. And I went on like... An incredible journey with God, where I felt Him all the time. I could sense His love. He was moving through me. I had crazy encounters. I feel like I had prophetic words for anybody and everybody. Like God was just on the move. But then, like life happened, as it happens to all of us. And um, in in where I was at, I felt condemned, and I felt. Like, I didn't know him that well. I transitioned into a season. I called it the wilderness season. I felt like he was distanced to me because my view started to change. Yeah. My view started to change. So when he was just close and loving, he seemed distant. But if you had have asked me, hey, Zach, is God good and does he love you? I would have said, yeah. But my response to him had changed. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously my view had changed. Like, I wasn't going to him in prayer. I wasn't going to him in praise and worship. I couldn't trust him with the struggles and the questions that I had. I was dealing with all sorts of stuff, but I was going deep, deep, deep in like questioning God, questioning his goodness, his character, because there was a gap between what like Psalm 145 says and what I saw. You know what I mean? Like I felt like there was a difference between this God being as good as he is, but like I see a lot of hell. I see a lot of hurt. And I, even in my life, I couldn't explain the gap yeah. Yeah. That's good. between this book and what I was experiencing. Yeah. So I had big questions. Why is there a hell? If you're so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? If, if you are loving, then why would you set this up to fail in the first place? Yeah. All big, big questions. Look, those questions aren't bad, by the way. I'm, I guarantee there are many people who are struggling with this as well. But let me just tell you, don't don't wrestle those on your own. Don't wrestle those questions on your own because for me, I did it on my own and I went into despair and it was bad. Like I I studied and learned and went into, you know, deep, deep thought about the universe and all these different ways of thinking and philosophy and all this kind of stuff. But honestly, as learned as I was, I had no idea what to believe. I was so studied up and educated, but I had no idea what I believed. And there was this moment in my life, I don't know if it was a moment in time. Do you know when you like go to the beach and you're having fun, the time of your life in the surf, and then you look back and then you're like three or four hundred meters from where you started? You know what I mean? I had that kind of moment like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How did I get here? How did I wake up here? Right? I was, I was in love with Jesus. I was praying for everybody. I was serving in youth. I was giving my all to it. And yet I was at the edge of my walk with God and literally about to walk off and say goodbye to the whole thing because I had unresolved you know, questions and turmoil. I couldn't justify the gap with God and His Word and my life. And I felt like Holy Spirit said this, everything that you're questioning and dealing with right now boils down to this one idea, this one thing. Either God is good yeah. or He's not. Right. Yeah. And that's the same for all of us. It, it's as sim- I'm a simple guy. I like to boil it down to its absolute root and that's really how it gets. It's whether you believe He's good or whether you believe He's not. And I knew what Holy Spirit meant because if He was good, that means He knew what was best for me. That means he loved me. That means he knew that he would, like, that means he would look after me. That means I could trust him. Like, if he was good, everything hinges on a good God. Everything hinges on that. So the thing that woke me up, as I was saying before, was this revelation. I became the judge. So... When I gave my life to him and I was following, he was Lord of all and he was everything. But slowly but surely, I sat on the judge's seat. Reminds me of Judge Judy. Anybody watch that show? (laughs) That show was ridiculous. I remember as a kid, I just wanted cartoons. Come on. So hurry up, get off, Judge Judy. (laughs) But I'm going to explain the court system. And I'm no lawyer. I haven't been into any law school. But let me just explain it just to illustrate what I where I was at, all right? So you have a judge and you have a defendant and you have a prosecutor. I think that's the minimum elements, right? In the in a court case. Any lawyers in the room can give me a big smile and a thumbs up so I feel good. Yeah, Matt, thank you. <laughs> You're a lawyer now, are you? Oh wow. Well, you learn a lot. <laughs> so I was the judge. I was the judge and the thing was, God was the defendant. He was the accused. He was the one on trial in my life. And then life and the enemy and whatever you want to call it, was the prosecutor presenting evidence. So me as the judge, the clay, mind you, not the potter, the clay, judging God. (laughs) It's a scary thought. This is where the fear of God comes in. The clay was judging God. And I was waiting for sufficient evidence. I was like, God, if you're good, then I need to see this from you. If you're good, I need to have somebody encourage me. If you're good, then I need to see somebody get healed. If you're good, I need this. If you're good, I need a promotion or whatever it might be. God, I can't relate to your goodness because I didn't have a good father or whatever it is, life was accusing God's goodness and I was the judge. I was the judge, weighing up the evidence to find out whether or not he was good. So over time, my view of him changed. So therefore, my response to him changed because remember, how you see God determines your response to him. So this is a bit of a pointy question. Have you become the judge Are you waiting for sufficient evidence? Are you waiting for life to determine whether or not he loves you? Because I tell you, friend, you're going to be there a long time because you're looking in all the wrong places. So is God actually good? Let me answer that question with another question. If God wasn't good, he wouldn't have sent his son. Like the fact that Jesus came has to mean something because he didn't have to do that. He came. Jesus came. Yeah. God came. Our understanding of God's goodness has to begin and end with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Like, We can see elements of love and we can see elements of goodness in life because we have great God-fearing people. Maybe our parents loved us really well. Maybe they didn't love us really well. Either way, that love is just a shadow of the real thing. The real thing, the source of it all. So Jesus is the revelation of God's character. I just want to read to you Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3. I didn't have proper... This, This is my bookmark. It's a receipt. (laughs) So I wasn't super prepared. Jacob, sorry, man, I didn't submit a receipt. (laughs) Jacob does the finances. He's a good man. Hebrews 1, verses 1. This is so important we get this. Verse 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has... Spoken to us by his son. When he says he has spoken, it's really saying he has set the record straight. His son is the Tada of God. The big reveal. Like David didn't have this at Psalm 145, but boy was he close. He had a pretty good revelation, but. He hadn't fully revealed himself until the Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, including you and me. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And get this, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. Jesus is the revelation of God's goodness. Yeah. Yeah. He is the revelation of his love. Yeah. And if you look anywhere else, I said this before, for more evidence outside of Jesus, you will easily get deceived. Yeah. 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 Because Jesus needs to be He's the beginning and the end of our salvation He is the reason for it all This verse That I'm about to read to you really changed my life And um, Because I was in that state Another another receipt Jacob, sorry mate (laughs) I was in that state of mind Where I couldn't rectify I couldn't make sense of this world I couldn't see God's love Because I was trying to find it in all the wrong places And John 3, 16, John 3, 16, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 really spoke to me one day and this was this was groundbreaking for me. I hope this is a seed that goes into your heart and I hope you don't look for love anywhere else. True love. True love anywhere else. It says this in verse 16, By this we know love. Yeah. By this we know love. Not because we have loving parents, although that's good. But that's not the full definition of love. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. I love verse, uh, I think it's verse 9 of chapter 4, just over the page. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In this, God's love was revealed. Set the record straight for all time, for all eternity. He said, boom. Boom. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The beginning and end of our revelation of God's goodness is always the cross. How you view Him determines your response to Him. So if you're viewing Him outside of Jesus, your response to Him would be crooked. It'll be off. It'll be distant. It'll be anger. It'll be confusion. Anything outside of Jesus, anything outside of Jesus, opens up the floodgates for that you might be in this room and be like yeah well Zach I tried that yeah you know I've given this a go see the thing is about what I'm talking about you need to actually establish it in your heart and it needs to be foundational and not up for question yeah. Yeah. there can't be any future evidence what is it when, when a court case closes and then there's evidence that comes after it's already been settled there's none of that I don't know what it's called I should have done more research. Matt, can you tell me? (laughs) Establish it in your heart. See, if if you've ever had that thought, yeah, well, I've tried that. That means it wasn't established. That's just proof that it wasn't, the truth wasn't established in your heart. You can't, let me be honest. I tried this. I tried to have my cake and eat it. I know there's a lot of young adults in, in this room and young adults tend to wait for the next best offer. This is the best offer you're ever going to get is Jesus. (laughs) There's no other evidence. There's no other offer. There's no greater revelation than Jesus. So if you're waiting for something else, I'm telling you, you're going to be looking for a very long time and you'll just get disappointed because Jesus is the beginning and end of God's character and His nature and His love for you. He declared that you are worth it to Him to die for. this life you can't do half in, half out. I tried it. And it felt like my life, my soul was actually being torn apart. It would have been easier for me to not be a Christian at all. I promise you. It's not something that you go in half in, half out. You commit your life to this thing because that's the only way you're going to find the fullness of life in Him. Because if you're looking for another offer, you're going to be reserved. And then life will just throw you around like you're a ragdoll in the wind. You will. You've got to be established in this truth that if you look anywhere else for proof of God's goodness outside of Jesus, you'll be like the person who builds his house on the sand. And the waves and the wind will just crush you. So if God wasn't good, then why did he send his son? In Psalm 145, we can see David's response to God's character, His goodness, was praise. It's always praise, friend. It's always, always praise. If this doesn't feel... If, if you struggle to relate to God's goodness in any shape, way or form, praise. Declare it. Because I promise you, if you let truth be established, like if that's off the table, if... Because... It's hard to relate with if it's still in question. You know what I mean? If God's goodness is still in question, it can be hard to relate to and hard to praise. But if it's established, I promise you that truth will totally transform your reality. You may not always feel like it. You may not always be ready to praise, but I promise you it's the best thing you could ever do. Nothing compares to your ability to just be with God. There's no better spent time spent than being with him this song this psalm is called a song of praise and in jewish uh, cultures back in the day they would actually sing this psalm three times every single day a minimum of three times every single day some people say that jewish cultures even today still sing this psalm three times every single day i feel like we can learn from that Declare God's goodness over our circumstances, over our life. It's not a matter of the evidence that suggests He's good. It's Jesus on the cross that has already set that up for us. So once you establish the truth, it precedes your reality. C.S. Lewis said this, The vastness of hell becomes an infinitesimal speck when seen from the standpoint of the ultimate fact of heaven. Praising makes God big and makes everything else small. So we're going to praise him tonight. Why don't you stand? The last question I'm going to ask you is how do you see him? How do you see him? A oh, what lens are you looking at him through? Are you trying to wait for more evidence? Are you trying to wait for something else to decide it? How do you see him? Because it determines your response to him right now. Are you going to respond in praise? Are you going to let life continue to roll on and move you around? I really want to pray for you. Normally, I would like to get people to respond, but I really think this is something that we could all receive prayer for, to protect our hearts from letting life define the love of God. Because we don't need life to define it. It's been defined. It's been established. There's no more evidence coming, guys. You don't actually need a crazy, like, beam of light to come down to tell you that God is love. We have it here right now. Let the weightiness of this word be established in your life. So why don't we pray? Father, I just thank you so much for your presence in the room right now. God, you declared for all time that you are good, you are merciful, you are faithful, you are close, you are intimate. You declared for all time through your son that we have such incredible value to you. I don't know what words have been spoken over your life to diminish your value, but Jesus has said, my life is worth your life. The God of the universe strung up on that cross said to you that your life is worth it to me. So Lord, I pray against any lie of the enemy that has tried to define our self-worth, but has also tried to accuse us to you and you to us. Lord Jesus, help us to look nowhere else but to Jesus on the cross to define what love is. Protect our hearts because I know things are going to happen. Seasons are going to come and go. And Lord Jesus, I pray that bright church, everybody here would be so established in this truth that no matter what takes place, we would be immovable. The house built on a rock. I pray this as a covering over all of us. Protect our hearts and minds, Lord Jesus. Help us to always see you clear and never question your goodness and your love towards us again. We put you back on the throne of our life. Lord Jesus, we are the clay. You are the potter. You know what you're doing. We barely have a clue. You are Lord of all. We just trust you with our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.